Amen. Well, we're going to continue on in this sermon series in which we're talking about our transition from where we are to where God is calling us towards. And we're calling it loosely walking on water because it feels a little bit like the footing is unstable. And so we're talking about that and we'll continue to work through that in the next few weeks. Uh, And today we're going to focus on prayer. And first I want to tell you a bit of a story. About four years ago, of course that's in pandemic years it would be six, uh, some of this gets a little fuzzy in our heads, doesn't it? How long ago something was. But I think it was about four years ago that I attended an event in Calgary at uh, Foothills Alliance Church. It was billed as a polite conversation between an atheist and a Christian. And uh, in years past, that would have been probably billed as a debate. But on this occasion, it was a polite conversation between an atheist and a Christian. And on one side of the stage that night, we had the famous son of a famous man, uh, Bart Campolo was on one side of the stage. His father, of course, is Dr. Anthony Campolo, or Tony Campolo as he goes by, who was a famous evangelist and uh, professor at Eastern University in the United States. And Bart Campolo was representing the atheist on this stage that night. On the other side of the stage was another uh, famous son of a famous father, and that was Sean McDowell on this side of the stage. He's the famous son of Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell wrote a book in the 70s called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And uh, it was a hugely popular book about uh, evidence for why we believe in God and that sort of thing. I believe it's in about its 111st edition now, uh, many editions later. In fact, uh, Sean McDowell had helped write the latest version of that uh, book with his father. So you can see how this is set up then. Two famous sons of famous fathers, one still a Christian, one an evangelist who uh, still writes books and, and still teaches and preaches, and the other famous son of a famous evangelist who had recently deconstructed his faith and was no longer following God and was an atheist at this point in his life. And it was indeed a polite conversation. Both men were uh, quite charismatic. Both men were quite uh, polite with each other. And we all went away, and nobody was really changed (laughs) by that event. All of the Christians that had come to support their Christian leader went away, Christians again. And a number of atheists who had come to support Bart Campolo were there as well to to support him, and they all went away as atheists as well. In fact, one of my atheist friends in Calgary had been the guy who had invited me to this event, and so we had coffee afterwards and compared notes about it. But what struck me about that night was what Bart Campolo had to say about why he was no longer a Christian. 
Now, he's explained this more fully in a book that he's written with his father called Why I Left, Why I Stayed. So Bart and Tony Campolo wrote this book together, and you can read more about why each of them explains where they're at right now. But that night, I was struck with one thing that Bart Campolo said. He said that he was no longer a Christian because he could no longer believe in the supernatural religions of the world. And I thought about that for a moment, and I thought, here's a man who says he's no longer a Christian, no longer a follower of God, and he was reminding everyone in the room that Christianity is a supernatural faith. And I think that's something that we have to remember and remind ourselves from time to time that we, our faith is indeed a supernatural faith. Now, Bart Campolo is not alone in this deconstruction of his faith, and there are many who have lost their faith. There are many who are losing their faith, and there are many who have sort of a, a weakened version of their faith because they've kind of lost the supernatural in their lives. And I know as Christians, we sometimes de-emphasize the supernatural aspects of our faith, and we live very much in a world that has convinced us that the only things that are real are the things that we can detect with our five senses. And so many of us have kind of gone along in this world knowing that God is supernatural, and yet we kind of go along with the, the world that tells us, well, miracles don't really happen anymore, and that sort of thing. And one day we kind of wake up and we realize we're, we're struggling with our faith, I think. I want us to hear and be reminded in Scripture today that we serve a supernatural God, that our Christian faith is indeed supernatural. You see, God created our universe and made it in such a way that it, it abides by certain scientific rules and that sort of thing. And yet, God always reserves the right to step into it with supernatural means as well. Now, some of you will know this about me, some of you won't know this about me, but I'm, uh, I'm trained in both science and faith. Uh, I have a Bachelor of Science in Molecular Biology, and I have a degree in Theology. And so I, tr I have a fairly healthy trust in both science and faith. But what I want us to hear today is that we need to remember that we serve a supernatural God. Jesus came as God in the flesh to show us both the natural and the supernatural world. And Jesus repeatedly showed us signs and wonders and miracles to show us that he had power over the natural world. I'm going to read, uh, Jesus near the end of his ministry had this to say, and I'm reading this from John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, where he said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 
Man, that's, that's strong words, isn't it? That's bold language. The Bible makes other similarly bold claims. First uh, John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that, he, that we have asked of him. And one more, just to kind of remind us of the power of these words. John 15, verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I think we have to ask ourselves, do we understand these words? Do they remind us that we live truly in a world of miracles and signs and wonders? And do we remember that we have a supernatural faith? For the next few minutes, I want to give you three statements that I think are important as we think about our prayer life, as we think about our, super, our relation with this natural and supernatural world. And then I'll, I'll give you these three statements, back them up with some scripture, tell you one more story at the end, and then we'll close in prayer. The first statement I have for us today is that Jesus is here and he is powerful. Now, last Sunday, we were talking about uh, the disciples in the boat uh, that were, they were going across the lake and they got caught in a storm and Jesus is on the other side of the lake. He's been praying up in the hills for the night and he comes walking across the water and rescues them. And we talked about how the disciples had to learn that not only is Jesus present with them when he is physically present with them, but he's also present with them spiritually when he's not physically present with them. And that's the thing that I want us to be reminded of today is that we can't see Jesus in a physical form here today, but he's here and he's present with us and he's powerful. John chapter 21 verse 25 says, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world would not contain the books that would be written. Well, ever since then, we've been writing books and trying to write all the stuff about Jesus. And I think uh, John was absolutely right that we still haven't plumbed the depths of Jesus. Let us never forget that this same Jesus who rescued us from death is the Jesus who demonstrated his power on earth. He showed that he could heal the sick. He showed that he could feed the hungry. He showed that he could walk on water and calm storms. And he showed ultimately that he could triumph over death. That is the powerful Jesus that we serve and he is here and present with us. We must never forget that. Secondly, not only is Jesus here and powerful, but we can't do this life on our own. I want us to read John chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, and it's a bit of a lengthy passage, so I thought we might try reading it together. Uh, and so if you could read the large all caps in this uh, passage that'll come up on the screen. There we go. So let's read this together. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. 
and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce life if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. A good little exercise in our attempt to read scripture together. I think it's always valuable to read scripture as a congregation. But let me just highlight that last verse for us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, of course, the pertinent clauses in there are if we abide in him and if his words abide in us. In other words, if we are in tune with Jesus' will, we will know what to ask in situations and it will be done, for it will be his will that is done. So, Jesus is here and he's powerful. We can't do this life on our own. We must abide in him and his word must abide in us. Uh, 1 John 5, 14, and 15 says something very similar. And this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked of him. And then James, chapter 4, verse 3, says it in the reverse order, the, the converse way, I guess is the way to say it. You ask and do not receive... Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's easy for us to ask sometimes for the things that we want in this world, for the things that kind of fit with our passions. It's much harder to abide in Jesus, to abide in Christ. It's much harder to live with his word abiding in us so that we know what it is that he's asking us to pray about. But if we can do that, if we can ask according to his will, if if his words abide in us, and if we abide in him, he tells us that great things will be accomplished. Thirdly and lastly, and I won't go into a great deal of detail on this one, but we must persist in prayer. I think there's a whole sermon right in, in this one, and I know many of you have probably prayed for something for a long time. And sometimes you get weary in praying about that thing. There's some concern in your life that you would love to see answered. Some concern in your life, maybe it's a loved one that has walked away from the Lord or something like that. And you're, you're getting tired of praying. But Luke 18 verses 1 through 8, I'll just encourage you to go back and read that one to get, uh, at some other point, is the prayer of the persistent woman. 
Jesus told that parable to remind us that we must persist in our prayers. And then I will read this verse. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 says, One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. I think Jesus modeled for us that sometimes we must persist for long periods of time in prayer, whether it's a whole night in prayer or whether it's maybe many years that we might pray for something. Uh, Jesus calls us to persist in our prayers. All right, I said three statements. Jesus is here and he's powerful. We can't do this life on our own and that we must persist in our prayers. I want to tell you one more story that God worked out in my life and taught me a lot about prayer and taught me about my own weakness in prayer. It was in December of 2015 that uh, a friend of mine, a, uh, an el- a former elder in the church I was pastoring at the time, and a, um, a mentor of mine, a, a businessman in the community, he collapsed in his home and was taken and rushed into the hospital. When he got to the hospital, they did some tests and routine things. And one of the things they did was did an x-ray of his head to see what was, uh, if there might be something there. And the doctors were kind of shocked and they said, we're seeing a whole bunch of bumps inside his head, inside of his, his cranium, around his brain in kind of a circle. And they said, oh, this does not look good. Um, and they talked to his wife, and they talked to his family, and they said, what we're seeing here, it looks like he's got a whole bunch of tumors in his brain. And of course, that's not a good thing. And they hinted that it might be cancer, and, and they said, well, we're going to do some more tests, and we'll, we'll see what's going on, and maybe there's another explanation. But of course, the family heard cancer, heard tumors in the brain, and, and they, that was all they could hear. And they were very concerned for him. I got up to the hospital to pray with him. And uh, I got there about the same time that much of his family gathered around him because they were really concerned that he might not last very long. And his wife was there and his kids were there and his son-in-laws were there and even an ex-son-in-law was there and they were all concerned for Walter. And... I arrived there, and I, as the pastor, you, you pray into those situations. And I was very, you know, they, they were all very misty-eyed and emotional, and I got caught up in the emotions of the moment. And I was praying, and I probably prayed more, more fervently. I, I probably was a little bit Pentecostal that day. And I prayed, and uh, I asked God to heal my friend Walter. I asked God to remove every single tumor from his brain. I asked God to heal him completely. I asked God to take away cancer if there was cancer in his body. I asked God to work through the doctors. And if the doctors could solve this problem, to work through the doctors. And, and we prayed, and, and I, I said amen and looked at the family and, and they were all, you know, very appreciative of my prayer. And I, I felt my own pride kind of raise, rising in that moment thinking, oh, aren't I such a good pastor praying for this family? 
And I went away with a whole mixture of emotions that day. I wanted to believe that God would heal my friend, and yet I was not sure I could trust that God was going to heal my friend. And, and I, I, I knew there was pride in my prayers, and I knew there was humility in my life, and a whole mix of emotions. And I asked God to, to help my belief and help even my unbelief. And so the, there was a time of waiting after that, and uh, a few days later, I was back up in the hospital, and I arrived there, and, and Walter was in great spirits, and his wife was in great spirits, and a few of the family that were there, they were in great spirits, and I went, what's, what's going on? What happened here? And they said, well, the doctors made a mistake. They, they did some more imaging, and they discovered that there are no tumors in his head, uh, there's just some scar tissue there from some other previous neurological event. They're not really sure what caused those little, that scar tissue or anything. And uh, so they were wrong. And I said, well, great. Um, that, that's good news. But inside of me, there was a part of me going, well, how could those doctors have been so so scary and said, oh, this looks like cancer and this looks like tumors and... And then to find out that it was just something that wasn't important. And, and they, get, they checked out his medication, sent him home. He was going to be fine. I just checked in with his wife a couple of days ago and saw how Walter's doing. Walter's doing well. Uh, he's celebrating his 84th birthday on Tuesday. Uh, and he's doing well. And so uh, I, I thought about that for a moment. And I said to Walter, I said, Walter, I wonder what it would look like if God had actually healed some tumors in your head. Wouldn't it kind of look like this? And maybe God would even leave some scar tissue there that makes it, and to see that he had healed something there. And we knew that we could never be sure one way or the other. We don't know whether the doctors made mistakes. We don't know if God healed him. But we talked about it and we said, well, I guess we'll leave it as a mystery, but Perhaps God was at work here. And, and we did thank God that he was no longer in a difficult situation. Well, the next day was the um, staff meeting at our church. And I was uh, one of the pastors on a, a good-sized church in Calgary. And there were about 10 of us in the room that were, praying, or that were having our staff meeting. And I, I brought up Walter and his situation and told the whole story of how he had gone into the hospital and they thought it was tumors and cancer and all of this and that turned out it wasn't cancer and wasn't tumors. And everybody in the room kind of had that same initial reaction I had of, well, how irresponsible of those doctors to scare that family so much and then to discover it was just something else that was unrelated. And I, we talked about that for a while and, and then I said, but what if? What if God did actually heal Walter? Wouldn't it look something like that? And the fact is, God never forces us to believe. He never would do a miracle that just demanded that we believe that he did a miracle. He always leaves it up to our faith. So to this day, I do not know whether God miraculously healed Walter or whether it was a mistake by the doctors or, or the tumors resolved on their own. or we'll, we'll never know the answer to these questions. But what I want to remind us here today is that we pastors 
and staff at churches, we can forget to rely upon the miraculous power of God, and we can forget to leave room for the miraculous power of God. We serve a God, we serve this Jesus who walked on water, who healed the sick, who fed the, um, who fed the hungry, who did all of those amazing things, and he can still do those things today. And we need to leave room that when we ask and when we pray, that we're not just asking for the doctors to do a good job. And we're not just asking for peace in those situations. We're not, we, we do pray for those things. We pray for peace. We pray for the doctors to do a good job. But we also pray that God might miraculously heal as well. I need that reminder. And I need scriptures like these to remind me that our God is a faithful God who can still do miracles. Our faith truly rests on our supernatural Lord. In a passage in 1 Corinthians 15 that deals with the most important supernatural event of all, the resurrection of Jesus, the message version of the Bible puts it like this. I like the way Eugene Peterson translated this portion of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, And face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors. And everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. All these affidavits we passed on to you, verifying that God raised up Christ, sheer fabrications, if there's no resurrection. We serve a supernatural God who came to earth as flesh and blood, human being, and conquered death. Jesus was both fully human and fully man, or fully, fully human and fully God, fully natural and fully supernatural. He calls us to live in this natural and supernatural world. So this message is obviously also a call and an encouragement to pray. We're engaging in this transition process, and we'll be engaged in it for a few months here. And ultimately, it will lead to us hiring a new lead pastor for this congregation. And we want our Lord to be guiding this whole process. So that's why we've said, let's, let's spend some time up front praying about these things. And next weekend, I would really encourage you, if you could, to pray in one of those uh, time slots that we have set aside for people to, to pray. And can we really trust that our Lord is involved in this process? That he will be guiding us as we work to make sure that we're healed well from the past and that we're, we've got structures in order and that we've got things uh, in order so that we can hire a new lead pastor and that we've got a vision for the future. So let's pray through a bunch of that and then trust that God in his mercy will answer our prayers. There's um, a document that we've put on our website that'll help you to pray if you've never maybe prayed for an hour at a time. I encourage you, if you're praying in one of the wee hours of the morning, go for a walk as you pray <laughs> so you don't fall asleep like the disciples were uh, often doing when they prayed with Jesus. Uh, but we just would love to bathe this time in a time of prayer.
Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Let us ask in his name and within his will for Jesus to work through our church and make it the church that he wants it to be here in Norfolk County. Uh, We're going to sing another song here together. I'm going to pray. We'll sing another song. And then I've asked uh, Joel Houghton to come and he'll lead us through a bit of a practice at the end here to just walk us through praying together. Uh, Joel is a reasonably new attender here at at Evergreen, but uh, I've already come to know him as a friend and uh, would ask him, he'll come up after we sing this song together to um, lead us in a practice. Let me pray with you before we do that, though. Lord God, we, we recognize that we are broken humans and we struggle so much to trust you. We, we live in a world that is very scientifically oriented and doesn't trust in miracles very much. But God, we believe you are still a God of miracles. That when we pray, we can trust that you will answer those prayers. And so we ask that you would encourage us in our prayer, encourage us in our faith, and help us to trust that you are indeed at work in our individual lives and in our collective life as the church here at Evergreen. These things we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.